This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. For more information, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. We're here with Wharton Marketing Professor David Bell to talk about his research paper, Social Learning and Trial on the Internet, which was made possible by a grant from the Mac Institute for Innovation Management at Wharton. He and co-author Jay Lee have some very interesting findings that will be quite useful to internet retailers. Welcome, David. Thank you, uh, Deborah. Very good to be here. Your research paper looked at social learning and social capital and their impact on internet retail sales. And you found some really interesting correlations. First, can you define social learning and social capital for us? And then tell us about your research? Sure, Deborah, I'd be happy to. So uh, first of all, let's start with social learning. Uh, social learning is just the idea that uh, individuals communicate either directly with each other uh, or they learn from each other via observation. So you might have said to me this morning, um, hey, David, you know, you've really got to go over to Starbucks. They have the best espresso. So, uh, and uh, I might take that information, learning it from you, and go over there. Um, conversely, I could just see you holding a cup of coffee with the mermaid on the outside, and that might trigger to me that um, that I should perhaps go and get a coffee myself. So it can either happen social learning through conversation or through direct observation. And social capital? Ah, social capital. Well, social capital was a coin, a, t- a term that was coined uh, some time ago in the social sciences literature, probably popularized by uh, Robert Putnam. Uh, he actually worked in President Obama's first uh, election campaign, I believe. And he wrote a book called Bowling Alone um, about social capital in America. And the essential thesis was that people, at least when he looked at them in the United States, tended to go to church less, um, join the tennis club less, be less involved in community activities. This is the the metaphor, I suppose, bowling alone. And to really bolster this theory, um, he went out and he collected a um, wide variety of data from about 30,000 households. And he would ask you questions, Deborah, like uh, on a scale of one to five, you know, how much do you like your neighbors? You know, from I really detest them to, um, I forget if this is the exact scale, to, you know, I really enjoy them. Uh, And also the frequency of interaction. So social capital is really about the notion of interaction and trust, how much of those two things coexist uh, in a community. So how does social learning and social capital play a role in terms of online retail sales, as you found in your research paper? Right. So it's a little bit of a a step from one to the other. So uh, we looked at a product category, fashion apparel, that's a socially observable product, first of all. So uh, if my friend here, Wayne, is wearing a particular pair of glasses or jacket or pants, uh, I might comment or he might tell me where where they were given, uh, where he bought them. So the idea is that the product, first of all, has to be socially visible and potentially something about which a conversation could take place. Um, where social capital comes in is we wonder whether or not the effect of information that was shared in a community uh, differed depending on whether it was a community where people didn't really know and trust each other too much or it was a community where they did know and trust each other too much. So what kind of data did you look at and how expansive was the sample? So what we did is we took data from a uh, fashion retailer, I guess I can say which one. Uh, It's a company called Bonobos or bonobos.com. They have physical stores too. Started by two MBA students back in uh, October 2007, essentially to sell men's apparel online. They now have um, physical stores in about 30 cities um, and also they have a relationship with Nordstrom. So they're both online and offline. 
And just for our listeners, the, the jargon is they're a uh, digitally native vertical brand, which means that they were born on the internet but have offline too. So they provided us with their national sales data. So we know, for example, obviously anonymized, um, a certain customer in a certain location purchased particular items at this time and for this price. And so we had a very basically the footprint of the entire United States in terms of sales coming from the company. And then we were able to match that with the um, Social Capital Community Benchmark Survey as the official name of the data that Robert Putnam and his team collected. And that covers about 30,000 households, if I remember correctly. So what was the purpose of your research? What were the hypotheses you were trying to test? So the... um, main sort of question of interest in these studies often, Deborah, is, you know, since an internet retailer by definition has a very large footprint, it covers the entire United States, um, how might their sales evolve over time and over location? And if different locations have different characteristics, different kinds of people, different kinds of offline stores, um, does that have any impact on the sales? And so a number of authors, not only myself, but at other institutions around the country have addressed that question. Um, in this particular instance, our key variable of interest was the cohesiveness of the offline community. Did that have any impact? And uh, we really found two things there. Uh, First and foremost, we found for this particular company, um, social learning was important in generating about half of all of their sales. So just the idea that people might physically observe each other and physically and or have a conversation about product, um, that that was responsible for up to half of the sales. And it was particularly important um, for sales that occurred later in the process. And the idea behind that relates to old ideas and diffusion of innovation. So if Wayne, for example, is a real innovator, he might just go out and buy bonobos. He doesn't need any social validation or anyone to tell him about it. You know, He's maybe the kind of guy that queues up in the morning for the new iPhone. Um, someone who comes later in the process may come because of social influence or social cues. So that was the first finding, that this idea of offline information transmission was driving uh, online sales. The second piece, the social capital piece, was really fascinating. Um, In communities where people knew and trusted each other more, um, the diffusion happened more quickly. Now, it was not the case that just because if you live in a neighborhood where you know and trust your, your neighbors, you're more likely to buy online. It's not that at all. What it is is more subtle. It says if you live in a neighborhood where you know and trust people, when information is shared in that neighborhood, um, it has more veracity. So in terms of economic jargon, the signal is more powerful. So if two people in your neighborhood mention bonobos, that's enough for you to go and act on it. My neighborhood where nobody likes each other, nobody trusts each other, um, things that are communicated offline have less veracity. And to get the same impact, I might require five signals. So that was the... uh, the key finding there. So what are the practical implications of your findings and how can internet retailers benefit from them? Great question. So there's really two practical implications. One is just to really reinforce the idea that an internet retail, the physical location of customers really makes a big difference to sales. So even though an internet retailer may be flat, by that I mean flat in terms of access, so anyone in the country can go to a website buy a pair of pants, pay the same price, get the same shipping and so on. But their propensity to do so varies dramatically by physical location because different communities have different offline options, they have different kind of people living there and the people living there have different preferences. So those three things explain a lot of geographic variation in sales. And because that's such a fundamental aspect of 
of online retailing, we're always encouraging internet retail companies to think about, okay, what are the geographic factors that matter? And we just so happen to have keyed onto one, which is the cohesiveness of the offline community. And so what it would say is that, you know, you're bonobos and, um, you know, you've got some marketing budget to spend. Uh, you'd be better off dropping that money into communities that, where you know there's an offline cohesion than in communities where there's not. Now, that sounds a little bit esoteric because, gee, how do we know that? Um, well, uh, the managers could get hold of the Social Capital Community Benchmark Survey and fill out the forms and go through university channels. That would be a bit arduous. Also, those data do not cover the entire country. They only cover a sample. So what Jay and I had to do to make it managerially actionable is to try and think of a proxy for the extent of offline trust and interaction among the target group, which is fashion for 25 to 45-year-old guys. So uh, we had a little bit of fun. I can tell you what that was if you like. Please do. Okay. So what we did is we found, we thought, gee, what would be a proxy that would be easily scraped from the internet um, for this idea of trust and interaction among males uh, in that demographic? And what we found was if we collected data very easily on the number of bars and liquor stores uh, per capita in a particular location, that actually was a proxy for uh, young guys, uh, fashion forward, trust and interaction. So, and we tested that out statistically and we, we talk about that in the paper. So are you saying that urban centers are better for online retailers? Well, it's very interesting. So there's a fellow called uh, Chris Anderson, some of our listeners may know, uh, popularized an idea back in 2006 called the long tail. Fascinating and, and fundamental idea for anybody who cares about the internet. It says um, that in the world of the internet where you can essentially offer many more books, many more videos, you know, variety, there's no constraint on variety if I'm a seller, um, of course, sales from things that are really popular, like Amazon sales of Harry Potter's books, that's important. But there's a bunch of stuff that they sell um, in ones and twos that actually adds up to a lot. And those ones and twos, you would never physically hold them in a store because they just don't justify the shelf space. Well, it turns out, um, actually in a separate piece of research and also in my book, there's an idea of a spatial long tail. And what that says, if I'm an internet retailer, yes, I have to hit the big locations first. And you find, and I've found... If I look at diapers.com, warbyparker.com, bonobos.com, yada, yada, um, the large urban centers always predominate initially in terms of sales, New York, Boston, San Francisco, Philadelphia, Los Angeles, Chicago. But in order for those businesses to really survive and, in fact, to thrive, um, they must also pick up customers in what I would say more remote places, sort of tail locations. And those tail locations tend to be geographically far apart, but similar on some other, I would say, socio-demographic dimension. So there's a community somewhere located in Texas that actually is not that different from one that's somewhere in Nebraska, and identifying them uh, becomes very important. So is it easy for a businesses to find out which communities those are? Well, I think the good news is there's just so much publicly available data out there now, uh, Deborah. I mean, of course, there are things that we can get from the census. A lot of my research, I'm not giving a plug necessarily for a particular organization, but uh, there's a company called Esri, E-S-R-I, and they collect a lot of geographic data. They repurpose data from the census and so on. Um, so there are those kinds of suppliers where at relatively low cost, you can come up with 50 to 100 variables that would describe one community uh, vis-a-vis another. 
So it sounds like word of mouth and um, social capital are really important things in a community to drive online retail sales. So what can internet companies do to drive more of that positive word of mouth? Well, I think one thing that they can do, and this is really outside the purvey of this particular research, but relates to ongoing research that I'm doing, is that they can really think hard about um, opening physical locations themselves. So one thing that's really fascinating, Deborah, if you look back at a little bit of internet history, and again, uh, the CEO of the very company that we studied in this uh, paper, Bonobos, um, if you look at Andy Dunn back in 2009, 2010, and you find the YouTube videos, he's quite strident in that, gee, in this internet age, why would anyone need a store? Isn't that a waste of space and time and you've got to hold inventory? Ironically, um, what's driving his business right now are stores, physical stores, but they're different. They're guide shops. They're very, very small footprint stores where customers have great experiences. They can really get to know the brand and the product and their own tastes, but there's nothing they can take away. So this kind of footprint store is being copied and emulated by a number of these uh, offline retailers, uh, sorry, online retailers. And the reason it's so successful is sort of twofold. It gives people to have a chance to have a deep experience, number one. Uh, and number two, that the footprint of these stores in a digital age is much bigger than it was in a pre-digital age. So to give an example, if Wayne and I have a store um, back in 1990 and uh, 100 people visit that store during the course of the day, then by the end of the day, you know, perhaps 100, 110 learned about what our store was about because 10 people told their husbands or wives. Um, in 2017... Perhaps 100,000 people learned about that store because you've got some fellow that walked in that's got 50,000 followers on Instagram and he takes a photo and he talks about it. So the fact that these physical spaces can be amplified digitally also makes them much more important. How is your research adding to the body of work that already exists on social learning, social capital and retail sales? Well, I think the real twist here, Deborah, is that we're showing that an offline interaction, that something that happens physically between people, matters a lot for the internet. And I think early thinking around the internet was that the internet and the offline world are sort of substitutable. Gee, I better not uh, let Black & Decker, I remember when I first started here at Wharton, uh, Black & Decker sell their drills at blackanddecker.com if I'm Home Depot because that's really going to hurt me. These are substitutable things. But the emerging sort of view is that offline and online are kind of complements. It just becomes a trick of, you know, what things do you do offline and what things do you do online? So there's absolutely no doubt that what goes on in the offline world influences sales and other activities in the online world. So how will you follow up your research? Well, uh, that's always a good question. Uh, academic research often proceeds incrementally and, and fairly slowly. Um, so one thing that I'm currently doing, I'm quite fascinated by, is actually looking at the impact of these physical offline spaces on online sales. And uh, what I've come up with so far with two of my colleagues, one at um, Kellogg and one at uh, Tuck, also in research sponsored by the Mac uh, Institute, is that these spaces act as a kind of a turbocharger in the following sense. So if we look at customers who were uh, born online, they made their first purchase at Bonobos online, and they never, ever visited a store, they have a certain trajectory in terms of average sales, frequency of visiting, the number of product categories of apparel that they buy, and their return rate. Then if we look at customers who at some point went into a physical bonobo store, we see that those customers, on average, they buy more, they return at a lower rate, they show up with increasing velocity, and also they buy a broader um, 
a more breadth of assortment. So this is the notion of sort of customer turbocharging. It's like if you and I had never met before, and I believe we hadn't before today, and we exchange an email, that's an electronic interaction, sort of a very, very low energy thing, right? If I got on the phone and we heard each other's voice, then the energy of our relationship would increase. And then now we're meeting each other face to face and we're having a discussion. Now, now our intimacy has increased quite a great deal. So the next time I receive an email from Deborah Yao, um, the energy never drops way back to where it started with the electronic. And that's kind of, I think, a nice metaphor that now our relationship's been somewhat turbocharged. So even if we continue our interaction online, we've got this great offline experience that anchors it. Wonderful. That all sounds great. Thank you so much for stopping by, Professor. My pleasure. Thank you, dear. For more business news and analysis from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.